I appreciate the warm and very cordial welcome extended. I'm deeply honored of the Lord to be back in your pulpit. I feel his presence, and I've been encouraged and inspired as the congregation has been worshiping. Allow me, please, just to express a very sincere word of appreciation to this congregation and to all friends here who have been praying for my wife over these past months. It's seven months now since she was taken ill in Africa, and uh, she's been in many hospitals and with many doctors. Her problem has been diagnosed, and it's now under a prolonged course of treatment. She's going to be well. She's looking forward to returning to Africa, but not just for a while. Just the other day, uh, Margaret booked flights for three, two others besides myself, to return to Africa for a short space of time in September. We have a project about to start there in relation to a borehole well, which um, is being uh, constructed, dug at our school and at our children's home. We carried out um, an operation or a procedure to find out if we were able to get water in that location. Geological survey, that's the word I was trying to find there a moment ago, not one that I use very often. And we discovered a river, a river running under the Garden of Hope, our school. The only problem is it's 300 meters down. And uh, that's what we hope to uh, remedy, try and find a way there. And we're hoping a little later this year to, to start that project. Talking about a river running under the Garden of Hope, uh, 300 meters down, I read this past week that quite some years ago that the Sahara Desert was a place of huge vegetation and huge um, production of all manner of fruit and wildlife also. And I'm told that the largest underground lake of fresh water is under the Sahara Desert. Can you imagine? A river running under our feet at the Garden of Hope. And yet there is drought and famine in the land in Africa. And uh, in the Sahara region, a river of fresh water, the largest, I mean a lake of fresh water, the largest freshwater lake in the world, right there. And yet there's nothing but sand and drought and death. And yet one time it was not that way. And I want to tell you, dear friends, tonight that there are resources for the church. There is enormous untapped resources. There is a river, and the Bible calls it the river of God. And we're told that it's full of water. And all our needs can be supplied. All our needs, whatever they might be. I have been considerably burdened. I have been weeping and praying for the state of our land, particularly following on from the 
recent election. And I am more convinced than ever, as many of you are, that the answer to all our problems in Northern Ireland is not in the house on the hill, not in Stormont. There are many born-again believers, uh, well, at least a number of born-again believers there, but they do not have the answer. But that river of which I am speaking, the power of the Holy Ghost, the dynamite of prayer in the church, the impact of godly living, and the impact of crying out to God for a visitation. There is the key. There is the key. God help us to lay hands on that key, and God help us to see the power of God becoming a reality. I'm asking you now, please, to turn with me to um, Acts chapter 16. I have preached upon this chapter many times. I may have done so in this pulpit before. And if that is the case, uh, I make no apology. The Lord has laid this very forcibly, very powerfully upon my spirit this evening for this meeting. There's something in it for everybody. Whoever you are, whatever your need is, there's something in this passage for everybody this evening. Can we just pray for a short word of prayer? Gracious Father, we're so happy to be in your house and to be in this pulpit that has been very much prayed over and the ministry that's exercised here from week to week, from month to month, from year to year. And since the inception of this church, we know that prayer has been indeed invested in every every exercise that this church has been responsible for. And this meeting has been prayed over very much. And that makes us so expectant. And it makes us so excited in relation to our part in the meeting this evening. We pray for the anointing of God upon the reading of the Word of God and the preaching of the same. We pray that you would anoint the atmosphere. I pray that you would anoint the ear of the heart. Many here with the physical and the outward ear, but their heart is not hearing any sound or any message because it's closed. And sometimes it's an unconscious closure of which we are not aware. The devil has indeed uh, screened off all our ability to allow the Word of God into our spirit. And as our dear brother has been praying, and as we were crying to you on the journey from Banbridge to uh, the Moy uh, this evening, Lord, we ask you to indeed confound every demonic spirit. Confound the powers of darkness. We pray that there will be good hearing, good listening, good understanding. We pray for good reception, good response to the Word of God and to the God who speaks this evening. I pray for the anointing of God upon my life, my mind, and my memory, <clears throat> my mouth, <coughs> and my spirit. Touch me with Holy Ghost fire to speak the Word in simplicity and with clarity. <coughs> 
and authority. And I pray, Lord, this evening that the fingerprints of Jesus would be all over this service and every life that is in this house. Cover us now with the blood of Jesus and let the Holy Spirit graciously, graciously sweep over the congregation. And I pray that everybody would feel that wafting (coughs) and that wooing of the Spirit divine and get glory and praise and victory to your name. For Jesus' sake, amen. I'm reading about 20 verses, so I hope you will bear with me. I don't normally have um, a long reading, but this evening it's different. Let's turn now, if you've got the place, I think you ought to have, Acts chapter 16. And we are going to read uh, from the verse number 13. And on the Sabbath we went out of the city by a river, a riverside, where prayer was wont to be made, And we sat down and spake unto the woman which resorted thither. And a certain woman named Lydia, a seller of purple of the city of Thyatira, which worshipped God, heard us, whose heart the Lord opened, that she attended unto the things which were spoken of Paul. Now that is very, very critical. She just wasn't in a meeting listening. She heard the word of God and she attended to those things that God spoke through Paul to her heart. And when she was baptized, rather whose heart the Lord opened, uh, and when she was baptized and her household, she besought us saying, if ye have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come into my house." And abide there, and she constrained us. And it came to pass, as we went to prayer, a certain damsel, possessed with the spirit of divination, met us, which brought her masters much gain by soothsaying. The same followed Paul and us, and cried, saying, These men are the servants of the Most High God, which show unto us the way of salvation. But this uh, did she many days. But Paul, being grieved, turned and said to the Spirit, I command thee in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And he came out the same hour. And when her masters saw that the hope of her gains was gone, they caught Paul and Silas and drew them into the market place unto the rulers and brought them to the magistrates, saying, These men, being Jews, do exceedingly trouble our city. And teach customs which are not lawful for us to receive, neither to observe being Romans. And the multitude rose up together against them, and the magistrates rent off the clothes of these men that were being um, uh, convicted and about to be imprisoned, and commanded to beat them. And when they had laid many stripes upon them, they cast them into prison, charging the jailer to keep them safely, who, having received such a charge thrust them into the inner prison and made their feet fast in the stocks. And at midnight, Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises unto God, and the prisoners heard them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundation of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's bands were loosed. And the keeper of the prison 
Awaking out of his sleep and seeing the prison doors open, he drew out his sword and would have killed himself, supposing that the prisoners had been fled. And Paul cried with a loud voice, saying, Do thyself no harm, for we are all here. Then he called for a light and sprang in and came trembling and fell down before Paul and Silas and brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved and thy house. That's my text. What must I do to be saved? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved and thy house. And they spake unto him the word of the Lord, and to all that were in his house. And they took them the same hour of the night, and washed their stripes, and were baptized, he and all his straightway. We end our reading at that point. I trust you've been able to follow it. And if you have noticed, we have referred to and read about three striking conversions. Not one, but three remarkable encounters with the Lord Jesus Christ. And as I speak tonight, I want you to ask yourself a question. Have I had a personal encounter with God? Have I met with Jesus Christ at any time, at any point in the history of my life up until now? Has God met with me and turned my life around? Has God accomplished a work of grace, saving grace in my life at any time? <clears throat> if the answer to that question is negative, no, I can't recollect anything like that. You are not a Christian. If you have not had a saving encounter with the Son of God, you cannot rejoice yet in the knowledge of sins forgiven, and in having received the gift of eternal life. If you have not come by faith to the cross and to that fountain filled with cleansing blood, if you have not had a converting encounter with the Lord Jesus, you are still on the broad road without Christ and without hope. I love the book of the Acts. In fact, I love the entire book of the Word of God. The entire book. From one end to the other. Not any part better than the other. I love all of it. But the book of the Acts, called the Acts of the Apostles, which someone has said it would be more appropriately called the Acts of the Holy Ghost, because that is exactly what it is. Not the acts of godly preachers who have been called and anointed of God. The great veteran missionaries. The great men who have had the stamp of God on their lives and ministry. Who have sacrificed and suffered. Indeed laid down their lives for the gospel. I'm saying <coughs> they are not the key to what happened and what has been recorded in this book. But the Holy Ghost is the acts 
of the Holy Ghost. And the acts of the Holy Ghost in a man or a woman's life are amazing. Amazing. Wonderful. Supernatural. And I want to bear those points out this evening. The book of the Acts is very much a book about conversions. And remember the Lord Jesus stated, except ye be converted, ye cannot enter into the kingdom of God. He did also say in that text, we must become like little children in terms of simplicity, in terms of humble faith, in terms of uh, being uncomplicated, except ye be converted, there is no heaven at the end of our lives. I repeat, the book of the Acts is a book about conversions, and it's full of them. It's full of them. Sadly, today in the church of Jesus Christ, uh, the church is not, not particularly um, full, uh, not even half full, with accounts of individuals meeting Jesus Christ, getting born again, being transformed by the power of grace divine. There are not many instances. It's only once in a while. It's only here and there. There are some churches, and there have been no conversions in them for a hundred years. Oh, please tell me, could that be a church? Please tell me, is the word of God being preached in that church if people are not getting converted? Please tell me, is that a praying church? I think it's quite obvious it's not a praying church if there are not conversions. There is no Holy Ghost there because the Holy Ghost is in the business, if I can say so reverently and respectfully, of transforming or converting lives. There's a lot of evangelical Bible-believing churches today in Northern Ireland. If you ask them, when last did somebody get born again, get converted in your church, they would scratch their heads and it would take them a little while. They probably would come up with a positive um, response, but it would take them a little while to remember when last somebody got saved. I thank God that that is not the case in this church. And I humbly bless the Lord, and I give thanks for that remarkable factor. The church of Jesus Christ should be alive with the preaching of the Word of God, alive with the activity of the Holy Ghost, alive with conversions, and with men and women turning from darkness to light, from the power of Satan unto God, turning from the broad road to the narrow way, turning from Satan to the living Jehovah, our wonderful Lord Jesus. You're barely into the acts of the apostles, until you find or you hear sounds of prayer coming from an upper room. And for 10 days, a group of people, they started out as a group of 500, and it dwindled down for probably a lot of maybe uh, legitimate reasons, 
And it may be that some got tired uh, or discouraged uh, to the number of 120. And that 120 were so glad that they stayed. So glad that they stayed. A man of God, I think it was uh, a guy called, was it Seth Rees in, 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 in Wales, told a young man called Evan Roberts, don't miss the prayer meeting. Don't miss the prayer meeting, young man. Don't miss the prayer meeting. Because the night that you don't show up, that could be the night. That could be the night when God comes down. And Evan Roberts made it his business never, never to miss the prayer meeting. Because that could be the night. That could be the moment. And it happened. I've read the story again recently. The power of God came down. And Everett Roberts had an encounter with God that sent him out into the principalities of Wales to be instrumental, at least a major factor, in bringing a 100,000 souls to Jesus Christ. I am saying those 120 were glad that they didn't go home. Maybe some just went out for a few hours uh, uh, to get fresh air or to see to some essential needs, but they missed that moment when the sounds of a rushing mighty wind invaded that house. And all were filled with that flame of divine fire which symbolizes cleansing, symbolizes the power of God that took possession of those 120. That was the key to the whole series of chapters that follow. That was the key to this story of conversions and awakenings. And Peter stood out on the side of the street, the man who not long beforehand had denied his Lord. And with the power of the Holy Ghost upon him, he stood probably with a raised hand and he probably preached for two hours. Now, we're not told that. But it wasn't a five or a ten or a twenty-minute address. He preached a powerful message, probably the greatest message of his entire life. And the Holy Ghost was powerfully in action. And there were no fewer than 3,000 men that got converted. 3,000. Now, 3,000 is a lot of people. If you fill this entire car park uh, with a congregation of people standing and you pack them in a bit like sardines, I'm not sure that you would get quite 3,000 into the space. But 3,000 men got born again, got powerfully converted. And then not long after that, well, it may have been a period of weeks, uh, there was a miraculous healing. God is the God of miraculous healing, as well as miraculous conversions. And there was a man lying at the gate, beautiful, and he had been lame for a very long time. And that day, I'll not go into the details of the story, you know it well, but that man got a, his own miracle of uh, divine healing, and he was powerfully delivered from uh, his, his, his disablement. 
And he began to jump up to his feet and glorify God. He got born again. Also, and along with him, there were 5,000 others got saved that day. You know, if the people of Northern Ireland saw more of the power of God, if they saw more of the answers to prayer, our prayers, if they saw more in terms of men and women who profess Jesus' name, living holy lives, paying their debts, being honest, and being kind and benevolent and, and doing charitable deeds to help them genuinely, not for uh, what they can get back as a result, but if they saw more of Jesus in our lives, I think, I think we'd see a lot more people getting saved. 5,000 and 3,000 make 8,000. My word, that the church of Jesus Christ in Jerusalem was growing at a phenomenal rate. And then there was the remarkable conversion of the Ethiopian eunuch. He was... He went the whole way to Jerusalem. Well, he may have been there um, on business for Queen Candace from Ethiopia. He was the Chancellor of the Exchequer, very important official from Ethiopia. Traveled a long way, but he was there too on purpose to worship God. He, he probably uh, was uh, a Jew, um, and he was reading the Scripture, and he was searching for God. I want you to know that if there's anybody in this meeting tonight and you're seeking and searching for God, God is not far away. He knows. He knows about your search. And he's just about to reveal himself to you if you will be patient and let him. The Ethiopian eunuch, he was actually reading the Scriptures as he traveled. Uh, you're not allowed to do that as you drive your car. Otherwise, you'll get points on your license, and you might even get a free holiday in prison, <coughs> something like that. You'll certainly get a fine and points. But uh, he was reading the Bible as he traveled in his, cha in his chariot, and he was reading from Isaiah chapter 53. Who hath believed our report, and to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? And all those wonderful verses. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. He says, I wish I understood what these verses are saying. Who is it speaking about? And God miraculously whisked, miraculously whisked, carried Philip the evangelist away from Samaria, many hundreds of miles, uh, to this desert place, uh, uh, to where the Ethiopian eunuch was. And uh, he just stepped onto, his, onto the back of the chariot and began to explain and expound the Word of God. It led to the eunuch's conversion. He got born again. And, and, and he kept traveling. And they came to some water by the wayside. And he says, I, I, I'm a believer now. I'm a, I'm a Christian. I'm saved. What doth hinder me to be baptized? And he said, there's water here. Why, why, can't, why can't I witness to my new life in Christ by being baptized? And right there, he was baptized on the side of the road. And he went back to Ethiopia, resigned his brief as chancellor, and became a missionary to the peoples of Ethiopia. That's not in the Bible, but profane history teaches us that. He became a very impacting missionary to his own people. So the gospel is beginning, beginning, beginning to spread. 
That's another notable conversion. And then there was the conversion of Saul of Tarsus. You know who Saul of Tarsus was? Of course you do. He became Paul the Apostle, the most notable, the most remarkable, the most dynamic, the most powerful conversion in the entire book of the Acts, clearly. If it's possible, if it's allowed to uh, actually uh, separate somebody out, he was a persecutor of Christian. You know the story so well. He actually beat children and beat women and, and, and actually had them killed. He didn't do it, perhaps, with his own hands, but he, 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 he organized it. And it was when he was on his way to Damascus, the city of Damascus, with documents in his back pocket authorizing him to do the same there. He made havoc in the church. I believe he was the most prayed-for man in the church of Jesus Christ in Palestine, in and around Jerusalem anyway, at that time. And God answers prayer. He had not right, quite reached the gates of that walled city of Damascus when a light brighter than the sun shining at noonday shone from heaven. It was a supernatural divine light that shone into his heart and showed him his lost condition, showed him his sinfulness, showed him the urgency of getting right with God. He, he was knocked off his beast. Be that a mule or a donkey or a horse, he was lying in the dust of the ground. Nobody else heard the voice. Nobody else saw the light, but he did. And God spoke to him. You know the story well, too. When that voice spoke to Paul, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? Um, Paul said, cried out, Who art thou, Lord? Imagine, imagine, a very, very religious man. A man that was murdering uh, the Christians because of, his, because of his religion. And he didn't know the Lord. Who art thou, Lord? And there's many religious people today in the world who don't know our Lord Jesus Christ. He's a stranger to them, sadly and tragically. And that day Paul got powerfully converted and he became what we know as the apostle to the Gentiles. He founded probably hundreds of churches, probably led tens, if not hundreds of thousands, at least when they multiplied, it became way beyond that uh, number. He became a great, great pioneer missionary, and um, we know of at least three of his great uh, missionary journeys. Then there was the conversion of Cornelius the Gentile, in chapter 10, that was also amazing. Up to that point, a lot of the Jews thought the gospel, Christianity, salvation was only for the Jew. But the centurion, Cornelius, the Gentile centurion, uh, God spoke to him. He was a good man. He had religion, but he didn't have salvation. And I'll speak of another who was in that category also a little later. I want you to know tonight, dear people, that the gospel is for everybody. That's the title and the theme of my message tonight. The gospel is for all. A-double-L. The gospel is for everybody. Everybody needs Jesus. 
Everybody needs salvation. I repeat it, everybody needs to be converted. If you're not converted, I repeat what I said at the beginning, no heaven. Have you been converted? If I stopped the meeting and turned it into a testimony meeting and I said, now I'm going to go along the rows. We'll start down there with our brother. You stand up and you tell me when you got converted. And I'd go along the road. There's four gentlemen there. I'd start with them. And then there's a lady and another gentleman. We'd go right along the row and another gentleman. And each one would get up. Could you say clearly, just go right around the meeting, row by row by row, when I'd come to you, could you say, I have been converted. I have had a second birthday. I met Jesus on my Damascus road. I got in. I got in. I got saved by the blood of the Lamb. And even though it might have been 20 or 40 or 50 years ago, or more, you can say Jesus is as precious to me today as he was that day. I hope you could say that. But would some of you be in trouble? Would some of you be in trouble when it came to your turn to stand up and to share a testimony? Oh, please, please don't. Don't, don't tell me that you don't have a testimony. If you come in without a testimony or without an experience of conversion... You don't need to leave without experiencing a supernatural conversion by the power of Jesus Christ. So we look now at the three striking conversions in the chapter we read tonight. Oh, I wish I had two hours to go through this, just section by section. I'd really feel then I was in Africa, but you wouldn't appreciate it. You'd be wondering where your supper was. You would say to me, I didn't bring my slippers or my dressing gown. Please, please let me go home. Well, <clears throat> the Word of God is very, very precious. We are praying for revival, I believe. And revival is coming. When it's coming, please be prepared for strange or different types of meetings than this one. Please expect longer meetings. There'll be church on Monday as well as Sunday. I know you will have church on Monday next week uh, because you have a special week of meetings. But there'll be church every day, every day and every night. And there'll be strange things that will happen. There might not be much preaching. But there will be some, possibly a lot of singing and there'll be a lot of praying, and there'll be a lot of weeping. Be prepared. Be prepared for something like that. What if it were to happen here first? Believe me, if it happened here uh, tonight or tomorrow, or during some of your prayer meetings this week, you have one tomorrow night and one Wednesday night, if it happened here, when it happens, before that particular day is over and ended, Everybody, most everybody in the north of Ireland and in the south of Ireland will have heard about it. It'll spread like wildfire. And for a change, there'd be some good news. And it would be in the newspapers. Some people would be writing against it. And there'd be some fair-minded people giving it uh, a good press, clearly. So three striking conversions. There was the conversion of a Jewish businesswoman. 
Number one, there was the conversion of an unemployed, demon-possessed teenager. There was also the conversion of an ill-mannered, I have to call him that, and I'll I'll describe him better in a few minutes, an ill-mannered prison officers. You couldn't have got three people more different, more different than that small group of three. Please notice very carefully that the lady mentioned first the Jewish businesswoman. She was a successful, wage-earning, middle-class lady. Now, bear in mind what I'm at just now. I'm talking about, I'm demonstrating to you that the gospel is for all. Everybody in Dungannon and in the district of Moy. Everybody in Portadown. Everybody in the city of Belfast. Everybody in Cookstown and Coal Island. Everybody in Ballygawley. Everybody in Banbridge where I come from and Logan that I passed through in the way here. Everybody, I say, everybody. Everybody in the city of Dublin. Everybody in the city of of London. Everybody in the city of Helsinki and Amsterdam and Beijing and Nairobi, capital of Kenya. The gospel is for everybody because everybody needs the gospel. Everybody needs Jesus. Make no mistake about it. So there was a a successful, wage-earning, middle-class lady. Money was not scarce in her bank account or in her pocket, clearly. And then there was a hard-pressed, less well-paid, working-class gentleman whose name was not given. The lady's name was Lydia, but the prison officer's name not given. Not given. He was a real man. He, He did exist. And the other one, the unemployed, I call her, messed up, delinquent teenager. She's called a damsel. That would make her probably under the age of 20, probably 17, something around that age. I describe her again as a messed up, delinquent teenager. Anybody like that that you know around? Somebody messed up? Somebody depressed on drugs? Somebody in and out of hospital because of overdoses? Somebody who feels life not worth living? Somebody who sells their body for fun, if not for money? I want to look at these situations. So uh, hear me now. All types, all classes... All conditions, all types of religions and religious persons need Jesus Christ, the Savior of sinners. I say all types, all classes and conditions of men and women, they not only need Jesus, but they can be saved, and they can be saved now. Hallelujah! Hallelujah! I believe it from the hair on the top of my head. What's remaining? Until the roots of the nails on my toes. That is the word of God, the gospel. It's for all. 
And if you might meet anybody who tells you the gospel is not for everybody, you tell them they're liars. Jesus, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. When the Son of God hung upon that Roman gibbet, uh, that my dear brother uh, uh, described it uh, at the beginning, I say he shed his precious blood for the atonement of all the sins of lost mankind. All will not avail of it, but it was shed for all without discrimination. Uh, Please note, I'm making comparisons here now. There were two middle-aged. I'm speculating... Lydia was middle-aged. She wasn't in her 20s or 30s. She probably was in her 40s or 50s. She was successful, and it takes time to reach that point. And then there was the prison officer. He was also middle-aged. He wasn't a novice. He hadn't been at this job for just a, a month or two or a year or two. He'd been in it for a long time. He was a hard man. Two middle-aged individuals probably married, and to all intents and purposes, both respectable citizens. So people who are middle-aged or middle-class in their lifestyle like Lydia, they need Jesus Christ. And then there was one teenager. I said, uh, under the age of 20. Of course, that's what a teenager is. Somebody Uh, in between 13 and 19, something like that. The teenager who was being abused and exploited by others. Now, there's quite a, a, a difference in those different categories. I say the gospel was for all of them. The message of the love of God, the message of forgiveness, The message of new life in Christ, it was for each of these individuals, and it's for each one of us here. The gospel is for all ages. The gospel is for both sexes. And I have to say it, it's the first time I've said it from a pulpit in preaching. It's for the transgender, and it's those who are confused about their gender. Both sexes, transgender, And those who are confused, they don't need to be, they shouldn't be, but many are, they say, if you can believe what they say. Please notice in the story, there were two men, uh, sorry, two women, and one man. Did you know there are more women in the world than men? Did you know that more women get saved than men as well? There are more women who are saved, who are Christians, in churches than men. I think if you took a statistic here tonight, or more particularly in the morning, where the meeting's more representative, you might find there's more women than men. Do you know why more women get saved than men? Because men are arrogant. Men are stubborn. Men are hard, at least they pretend to be. And some of them go to hell, they lose their souls because of it. They say, I I don't need that Jesus. I don't need salvation. Me? Hey, I'm my own man. I'm Mr. Independent. I, I, I can do my own thing. I paddle my own canoe. I'm master of my own destiny. You're nothing of the kind. You're a fool. That's what you are. If you talk like that, you're a fool. 
Women are sensitive, more sensitive, more responsive, more tender to the things of God. When they hear the gospel, they're, they're, they're more uh, apt to respond and say, yes, I, I, I'm a sinner. I feel my need of Jesus. Men feel their need too, but they will not admit it. And there could be a man in the meeting tonight, and you have, you're fighting against God. You're saying, I'm okay, my wife's got saved, but I don't need that. But I go to church with her. You know, I'm not against her. I don't argue or fight with her about it. That's her own decision. I don't need Jesus. Do you know what? That man, nine out of ten, he's afraid to take a stand amongst his own cronies and companions in his community. He's afraid to go out of his home and say to his neighbor, excuse me, uh, George, uh, I got saved on Sunday night in the meeting. Afraid to go to the office and say to the staff, excuse me, staff, I have an announcement to make. I'm a Christian now. I'm born again. Or to contact your family who may have left home uh, to go out into their own uh, uh, profession, uh, to lift up the phone and call your family one by one and say, I'm a Christian now. Your daddy's changed. Uh, I've given my life to Christ. Men are afraid Afraid. They're fearful of doing such a thing. Oh, hear that, please. All I'm saying, um, all need Jesus. One of these people got saved in a gospel meeting. One of them got saved in his workplace. That's the jailer, you know that. And one got saved in the marketplace. That was the young lady. You know what? It doesn't matter where you get saved. If you get saved up a tree like Zacchaeus, if you get saved down a coal mine, if you get saved in church, if you get saved at home, if you get saved in bed, if you get saved in the bath, it doesn't matter if you get saved in a motor car or in an aeroplane. As long as you meet with and find Jesus, and Jesus finds you, that's the key thing. Are you hearing me? The gospel is for everybody. And although these different these people came from different backgrounds, they all came to the same place. Do you know what that point was? The foot of the old rugged cross. They all came to the fountain filled with cleansing blood. Oh, hallelujah. That river is still full and it's still flowing. Isn't the gospel wonderful? You'd better believe it. Different circumstances, but all lost. And they came to the same place, the man of Calvary. I remember the day I met Jesus. I told you that story. And most all of you remember it, I hope, that we're in the meeting. 56 years ago, as a teenager, a total rascal, most defiant, ungodly human being, I would have been in jail, if not dead, if I'd still been alive and struggled on without Jesus. I'd be in hell. But at the crossroads of life, young man going to hell at the speed of a fast train, I met Jesus, and he changed everything. And I'm not uh, bashful, or I'm not 
ashamed to tell you, I fell in love with Jesus. And today I love him more than yesterday and much more than the day I first found him. Oh, yes. And I brought Jesus home with me and Jesus began to work in my family. My father, who was a, an alcoholic, and my mother, who was a worldly lady, and very much against the gospel, they both got saved. Not at the time, but later. And they're both in heaven now. Not all my family, I'm one of 14, I told you that. They're not all saved, but a good number of them are. If I had not taken that first step, if I had not brought Jesus home with me one night, unexpectedly to my family, uh, I, I probably would have no such, no such a story to tell <clears throat> how good, how wonderful the Lord is. Only Jesus uh, can save the soul of a lost person. Uh, I do want to point out with you, just for the information of it, <clears throat> some conversions are dramatic and sensational. Your conversion doesn't need to be like that. doesn't need to be, but some are. And you know the one that was rather dramatic here? It was that of the jailer who was uh, on the job. He was doing his work at night when the whole prison shook like it was an earthquake. It really wasn't an earthquake. God did it. God did it to get that man's attention. God shook a city to save a soul. And if you're holding out against God and the people are praying for you, there'll come a whirlwind, there'll come an earthquake, something will happen. And you'll have to wise up. Think of it. He shook a city to save a soul. That was sensational. And I think actually that there was a sensational dimension to what happened to the young lady, the teenager. She was full of demons. You know, demon, demon possession is far more common in Northern Ireland than you realize. Far, far more uh, 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 widespread and far more pandemic uh, throughout the United Kingdom and, and, and the Western world than you realize. We encounter it constantly in Africa regularly in meetings, with the presence of God being so powerful, and with the Word of God being preached, and with a lot of praying men and women there, <coughs> demons manifest themselves. doesn't happen so much in our meetings, but I'm saying there is, there is a, 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 a lot of demon possession. I'd be very surprised if there wasn't some one in that category here in the meeting tonight. I don't want to be sensational as I say that. The fingerprints of the devil are on a lot of lives, and the devil is in control and in possession of many. He will not allow it to be manifested, otherwise it would attract attention and he would get uh, uh, cast out, and, and for that reason it's kept quite, quite calm and quite uh, calculated and hidden. Clearly. But that lady that was uh, um, in the marketplace, <laughs> she thought she'd never be free from her life of soothsaying, of fortune-telling. And she probably was into prostitution. She thought she'd never be free from that vile and, f and, and, and filthy life of abuse and slavery. 
And uh, demon-possessed, imagine, imagine, those things of which I speak, fortune-telling <coughs> and, and immoral living, bring nests of demons into the souls and bodies of human beings. Sadly, sadly, you live an immoral life. You dabble with the Ouija board. You go to the fortune teller who you're inviting. You're just swinging open the doors of your life to demons. You read about witchcraft. You buy books and bring things, certain things into your home. You're opening the door, I say, if you're home. And opening the door of your heart, clearly. This lady got a wonderful deliverance that day. Paul, in fact, the demons in her were saying to her, it wasn't her voice, these men, these men are the servants of the Most High God, and they're telling us the way of salvation. I'm saying demons know the way of salvation, know what it's all about. And there's many ministers who don't, at least to pretend they don't, quite frankly. But oh, the man of God, Paul, he knew right away, this lady who was harassing them. He says, come out of her. Come out of her, thou evil demon. Come out of her. Let her go in Jesus' name. And immediately, the power of God broke the chains of demonism. I say Jesus Christ is stronger than Satan and sin and Satan and his demons to Jesus must bow. That is my gospel the gospel in which I believe. Jesus is stronger than the strong man. And he can set you free. Remember the Gadarene demoniac story. That is a solid and that is a historical and reliable account of a man's deliverance. There were enough demons in that man to possess, was it, two a thousand a swine on that occasion? Can you imagine the capacity of the spirit, the spirit of man, to contain so many demons? And yet Jesus, with one word or two, cast them out. Oh, yes. I say the Pope, the clergy, even the evangelist and the missionary can't save, but the man with the marks of the nails in his hands and feet. The man with the scar of the spear thrust in his side and the mark, the marks of the crown of thorns in his head, the Son of God, the mighty, risen, glorified Son of God. I say he's the master of every situation. And here, here, these beautiful people got powerfully saved. Lydia was a respectable, a respectable, moral, religious person, but lost. Tell me, is that you? You're respectable, you're moral, and you're very religious. You read the Bible and pray, go to church, you're in church tonight. Religious, but lost. Think about it. You would never steal anybody's wallet. You'd never pull a gun on anybody. You'd never commit a burglary. You're not a lawbreaker. But you're a sinner. You're lost. L-O-S-T. Lost. 
And if you die that way, you'll be lost forever. That's as plain as I can speak. Religion wasn't enough to save Lydia. But in a meeting, as she heard the gospel, she got in. <laughs> she got in. She heard the gospel for the first time. In Africa, a whole lot of people hearing the gospel for the first time say, I want to get saved. I want, I need Jesus. And they'll come out to the front of the church even when you're preaching. And they'll kneel down at the front. In fact, some of them will not kneel down. They'll stretch out on the floor. And they will weep and they will convulse. And the floor will be wet like as it was in the days of Nicholson's meetings in Belfast that have come with mops to mop up the floor. There were so many tears shed from weeping to mop up the tears. Can you imagine that? Tears of contrition. Tears coming from broken hearts. Tears of repentance. Perhaps I do believe in holy water after all, but it must be that kind. It must be that kind. Yeah. And then the teenager, she was a broken young lady. She was a failure. She was what you would call a wasted talent. She was lost. Her parents may have been dead and they may have, if not, they may have thrown her out. She was wandering the world alone. She wanted to see the big lights of the city, but the big lights were out before she got there. It wasn't what she expected. It, there wasn't the glamour and there wasn't the, ex, the excitement and there wasn't the life that she thought there would be. There was nothing but death and abuse. And there are millions like that in the United Kingdom. Millions like that. Hundreds of thousands of like that all over Northern Ireland and the Irish Republic. Believe me. Lost. And then the jailer, he was a coarse, vulgar, uneducated, probably drinking, gambling, hard man. He was lost, I say, with a capital L. Lost and bound for hell. At the speed of a French train, which are amongst the fastest in the world. He couldn't wait to get there. But that night he met Jesus. He was almost falling on the edge of his sword. He was just moments away from suicide. Moments away from death at his own hand. My word, I'm sure the devil was very angry. I thought I had him. He was about to fall on a sword. And that preacher man, he cried out, Do thyself no harm. And he, and he, he, he stopped. And he said, who, who, Who's speaking? Who's, who's talking? What, what do you mean, do thyself no harm? He said, We're all here. Nobody has escaped. He thought prisoners had escaped after the um, incident of the earthquake. And he would have to answer to the governor with his life. And Paul cried out, uh, Words of encouragement. What must I do to be saved, the man said. And Paul and Silas said in unison, Believe! Believe, man! Believe! Receive the Lord Jesus Christ! Repent of your sins! Believe and receive the Son of God as your Savior! And you will be saved. And that's exactly what he did. And he got saved. Oh, that is wonderful. Really, really wonderful. Blessed be God! Thank God for the gospel. Thank God for grace, for saving grace. Thank God for Jesus, our precious Savior.
Thank God for missionaries and evangelists like Paul and Silas, God's servants. God had sent them. <clears throat> Time I finished and went home and allowed you to go home too. But I said there was something for everybody, and I must say this before I conclude, and I'll be brief about it. If I'm not, you can throw your hymn book at me. <clears throat> there were three vital factors that led to the conversion of each of these individuals. Three vital factors, and I want you to remember them. If you remember them, it will be very educational, it'll be very enlightening and beneficial to you, particularly in prayer, and if you're in Christian ministry, it will also be valuable to you. <clears throat> Three vital factors. The first was, in each of these conversions, we see the providence of God. That young lady, the teenager, she was in the right place at the right time. She was in the very place in town, in the marketplace, where God's servants were passing by. Do you think that was a coincidence? Definitely not. God had orchestrated that. There was also Lydia. Lydia came from Thyatira originally, a business lady. She was busy. Every business person is supposed to be busy. That's where the name comes from, business. She was in a meeting at the riverside. It seemed to be a ladies' meeting with a man speaking. She was in the right place at the right time. That was providential. She had, like the teenager, an appointment with God. And that prison officer, he had thrown a lot of people into the prison cell and the inner prison, which was a more secure place. He had done that a lot of times, but this night, the people he was handling were different. They were God's men. But he never had that kind of man before. He had two missionaries. Can you imagine? He had men of God who had brought the message of salvation. There was a providential factor. And the providential factor uh, in your life is that you are in God's house and you're under the sound of the Word of God tonight. Somebody may have given you a gospel tract this past week or the week before. There are many, many providences. Here is a man talking to you and not once not twice, at least three, four, or five times, I almost lost my life as a young fellow. Almost. One by drowning and others by accidents. I could have died, but God protected me. A little, a little thorny white thorn bush on the edge of a river allowed me to hold on in a flooded river long enough for my brother to get a hold on me and pull me out. Another time, the tractor, I was going up a narrow, narrow lane with a huge embankment, and there was a, a, a little tree. The tractor slipped, slipped over. And that little tree, I don't know how it held it back, but if it, if it coped over, I would have been underneath it. 
The providence of God has kept you alive until now. You'd better believe it. And then there was the power of prayer. I want you to understand this now. I did share it one other time, I think, in this pulpit, but I share it again. The power of prayer. There was one of these three that got saved before a prayer meeting. One got saved in a prayer meeting. And one got saved after a prayer meeting. The fortune teller got saved before a prayer meeting. Paul and Silas were on their way to a prayer meeting. And no doubt that week, and perhaps for several weeks, she was prayed for many times. That's verse number 16. On their way to a prayer meeting. I want to say to you tonight, dear people, souls are not saved. Souls are not saved without prayer. There were those who prayed for me and my family down in Fermanagh in Rosley. There were people in a gospel hall and in an Irish evangelistic hall who knew about our family and they prayed and prayed and prayed. And every time there was a mission, they knocked on the door and they offered transport to bring us there. That was a major factor. Please notice that Lydia, she got saved in a prayer meeting. Used to be angry with a man who came to a prayer meeting where I was a young believer. I said, what's that man coming, uh, doing coming here? He's not saved. He shouldn't be here as we pour out our hearts to the Lord. He's in the wrong place. But I didn't know. I was greatly rebuked. Some weeks after that, the man got saved. He had been coming. His name was Gerald. And Gerald was coming. He was seeking. And what better place to seek God, to seek God, than in a prayer meeting. I felt so rebuked. Lydia got saved in a prayer meeting. If you're not saved, you're welcome to the prayer meeting. If you want to seek God, and if you want to be in an atmosphere like that, come by all means. And the jailer, he got saved after a prayer meeting. I don't know how good the singing was by Paul and Silas, but the praying was mighty fine. I don't know how long they prayed, but they prayed long enough. They prayed long enough for an earthquake to come. That man got soundly converted. Soundly converted. Oh, men and women, I want you to know, there's not one of us here, not Pastor Bertie. Not any of us. Not any of us. That have realized the extent of the power of prayer. The power of prayer, my friends, is awesome. The world has yet to see what God can do through the prayers of the saints. I have not seen nor ear heard, neither has it entered into the heart of men the things that God does for the man that waits on him. That's in Isaiah 64 with marginal explanatory notes on the Old Testament Hebrew. The world, I am saying, has yet to see what God can do through the prayers of his people. There's no soul saved without prayer. So I stand before you in Jesus' name tonight, and I call this church to prayer. I know that the praying, praying of this church has been exemplary over the past two and more years. I say, praise the Lord.
Praise the Lord. The angels on the battlements of heaven have been looking over the battlements of glory night by night by night that you've been in the prayer meeting or here or wherever you meet. They have been saying something's going to happen. Something's going to happen down there. Those people are serious. And they're saying to others, come and see this. Come and see this. This is not regular or usual. This is not happening in many places. Come and see what's happening over here. You see that prayer meeting, that group of people down there, they, they mean business. And there's something going to break through. There's something going to happen. And I'm not using, I'm not using uh, these words tonight lightly. God and, and heaven has taken note. And so have the demons of hell. You be careful that you don't break rank. Don't you be careful you don't live, start living carelessly after two years of praying. You be careful that you don't give up a week or a month too soon, like I told you about Evan Roberts. Make sure, make sure that you're in the right place when the heavens open. Make sure you're there. When the power of God comes down. Hallelujah. I close now. I love the story of Lydia. If you study Lydia's life, and this is for you tonight if you're not saved. If you study Lydia's life, you will notice this. That Lydia's eyes, Lydia's ears, first of all, were opened to hear the gospel. The outer ears and the ear that's down here in the heart, her ears were open to hear the gospel. You're hearing it tonight, and you hear it every night you come here on a Sunday evening. Her mind was open, open to understand the gospel. Some hear it, but they don't understand it. They don't want to understand it. Lydia understood the gospel and its implications on her life that day. Her eyes were open to see her need. I pray earnestly, even as I conclude now, that your eyes will be opened to see your need tonight. Because if your eyes are not opened, you'll never get saved. You'll never get saved. You need your eyes open so you'll see your need and the urgency of the moment. Lydia saw that that day. Her heart was opened in order to receive Jesus. Now, that's what conversion is. That's not confirmation, church membership. That's not being a church-going do-gooder manner of life. She was in the meeting, hearing the Word of God, and assenting to it. That's right, she was saying quietly. That's right, that's me. I, I'm a sinner. That's the first time I've heard that story about Jesus, the Son of God dying for me. I believe it. I believe it. And when the appeal was made, she was saying, I need Jesus. Jesus, save me. Quietly in the meeting. And just there in the meeting, she opened her heart. <laughs> quietly. Simply like a child, she opened her heart and she was wonderfully 
converted, wonderfully born again. You can get saved where you are sitting tonight in the meeting if you're not saved. Why not? Why not? This is your night. And not only was her heart opened, but her mouth was opened. We're told she got baptized. We're told that too about the jailer. He got baptized and all his family. Lydia got baptized and all her family got saved. And at baptism, at baptism, you are required to confess Jesus with your mouth. Believing in your heart, confessing with your mouth, and having the witness that you're born again. And then her house was opened. Her house became a church. She said to the men of God, come, 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 come into my house. I have a meal ready for you. And she had news for them. I want a church to be started in my house. The first church in Europe was in her house. How long it was in her house, I don't know. Was there room in her house? For 20 or 40 or 50 people or 100? Being a business lady, it was a big house. And it was full of people. It became the church. And you know, when you get saved, you've got to utilize everything you have for the kingdom of God. You hearing me? You've got to utilize everything you have to win souls and to extend the kingdom of God. And the marvelous story about it doesn't end there with Lydia's conversion. <clears throat> A new continent was opened. I don't know if you've ever heard of it. It's called Europe. Because this was the city of Philippi. And it was the first time the missionaries and the message of the gospel came. For the first time, the message of the gospel came to that city and came to that continent. Our continent. <laughs> Isn't it amazing? And Lydia was at the heart of it. She was the first one. And there's no knowing, if you give your life to Jesus Christ tonight, there's no knowing what the result will be. No knowing. But I tell you, there'll be challenges. Yes. There'll be persecution. Yes. There'll be a lot of people not happy. You wouldn't expect the devil to be happy or the devil's crowd. But I want you to know that there'll be celebration in heaven. There'll be a new name written down in the book of life. Hallelujah. And there'll be a lot of people in this church and amongst and throughout the community, happy as well. But things will begin to change for you. Things will happen. You know not what God has in store for you when it gets a handle or gets charge of your life. I pray that it will happen.